Good morning, church. So great to be with you. We are continuing our series on fire and ashes. I want you to picture with me that scenario in a movie where the lead guy has got two dates on at the same time, two appointments. Sometimes it's with his parents and a hot date, or sometimes it's with two hot dates that he can't decide which one he wants. And he ends up getting them to the same restaurant. You know the scenario, you've seen it countless times. And as he is sitting at the one table with the one girl, he orders drinks and then he makes an excuse that he has to go to the bathroom and then he rushes over to the other table and he has a conversation with them. And then he makes an excuse and he rushes over to the other table and he has a conversation with them. But sooner or later, sometime during the night, the two tables realize that this guy is on a double date that he's two-timing both of them and they meet somewhere in the middle of the restaurant there's this huffy moment where one of them storms out the other one starts crying whatever it is and the man loses both of them Israel had just such a moment we read the story in 1 Kings 18 and Israel the northern part of Israel had decided that they were going to serve Yahweh the God of their ancestors, but they were also going to serve Baal, who was the God of the surrounding nations. They had a queen, Jezebel was her name, and she had introduced Baal worship into Israel, and they were happily dating both of them, running from this table, having starters with this, this God, then running over to this table and having mains with this God, dessert over here, whatever. They were, they were kind of like double dating both of these gods, having a relationship with both of them. Of course, this didn't work for God. God was not happy with this. The, not the beautiful thing, but the interesting thing is that it didn't really work for Israel either. When we open up the story, Israel finds itself in the middle of a three-year drought. Baal, they had started worshiping him because they had heard that he was the God of thunder. He was the God of storms. He was the God of fertility. And if they worshiped him, he would bring rain and he would bring fire from heaven in the form of lightning and he would water their crops and they would, they would have abundance in everything. And they thought this was a really good idea to worship a God that would bring all of that for them. And they had discovered that for three years, he had not lived up to his reputation. Of course, we read in the back notes of the story that Elijah had heard from God and he had declared that there would be no rain for three years. I guess God said, well, you know what, if you're going to serve Baal and you're going to serve me, let Baal do his thing. I'll just stop the rain, see if he can bring rain. He didn't bring rain. So Israel finds herself in this huge drought and, and suffering because they are, they are running between a relationship with two gods. Elijah, the prophet of the time, stands up and he says, enough is enough. And he calls all of the prophets of Baal together and he calls all of Israel to Mount Carmel. And he says, well, let's settle this once and for all. One Kings 18 verse 21 he says this he says how long will you limp between two differing opinions called all of Israel together and said how long will you limp between two differing opinions I I feel it paints such a really great picture of Israel and where they were and where sometimes we find ourselves in life that 
that all these competing convictions in our heart and mind that cause us to not do one thing well. We, we tending to do so many different things and, and nothing's working and we find ourselves limping between ideologies, convictions, ways of living, worldviews. How long will you go limping between two differing opinions? That's what I want to talk with you today. I want to talk about the God that answers by fire and how each of us are meant to move away from limping between two differing opinions, setting our minds on what's true and walking in that with our whole hearts. How many of you have have felt at some stage Christianity has disappointed you. Your faith hasn't lived up to your expectations. There is a possibility in that moment it's because you've been limping between two differing opinions, professing one thing but, but living in a different way. And today I want us all three to live the fullness and the prosperity and the blessing and the life and the conviction and the significance of serving God wholeheartedly. Three things we can learn from the Carmel challenge that Elijah sent up. Three things we can learn that will make us immovable in adversity, untouchable in trouble, and undivertible in your destiny. So I am looking for, at the end of this sermon, that you will have strong convictions. You will walk strongly in the way you are made to go, and you will be immovable in adversity. You will be untouchable in trouble and you'll be undivertible in your destiny. So what are these three things that allow you to be that? We can read from the story and we can extricate these three truths from the story. And th these three truths go like this, that there is not, sorry, excuse me, that not all religions are the same. Secondly, we can learn that not all ways to God are equal. And lastly, we can learn that the true God is the one that answers by fire. The story continues. Elijah calls all of the prophets of Baal together, all of Israel together. And he says to the prophets, he says to them, you go ahead and you build yourselves an altar and you sacrifice. Here are two bull bulls. You choose one, sacrifice it to your God, and I will do the same. And the God that answers the sacrifice by fire, he is God. And he says to Israel, the one who answers by fire, that's the one you should serve. That's the one you should serve. So the prophets of Baal, they go, they set up their altar, they choose their bull, they sacrifice it. It says they, they went for hours around that altar, cutting themselves crying out, begging. Elijah, funny enough, sits on the side and he mocks them and he says, where is your God? Perhaps he's gone on holiday. Perhaps he's gone on a journey. Perhaps he's in the bathroom. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. No fire falls from heaven. That ox or that bull that is cut up on the altar remains there. And Elijah's turn comes around. The scripture says this, that he rebuilds an ancient altar. He takes 12 stones that represent Israel and he puts them in the formation of an altar. He puts sticks on top, he kills the bull in the prescribed manner, puts it on the altar, he builds a, or digs a trough around it and pours water on top of that so that there can be no, there can be no thought that the fire fell from heaven by chance. 
In other words, if the fire is to fall from heaven, it's not going to, it's going to have to take this, this wet carcass and set it alight. In other words, it's going to have to be a supernatural event. He goes ahead and he prays a very simple prayer. He asks God to prove himself as God and to send fire and to accept the sacrifice. Fire falls from heaven and it says that it, it burns up the sacrifice. It burns up the wood. It says it, it licks up all the water and it even burns up the stones. It takes everything. And Israel is amazed. They stand back and they say, oh my word, the Lord, indeed, he is God. Elijah calls them and they kill all the prophets of Baal and all of Israel turns to Yahweh. So as I said, we are going to learn three things from this passage. The first thing we're going to learn is that not all religions are the same. Christianity stands unique among the religions because Christ is unique among the gods. Christ is unique in that he came to find us. He stepped down from heaven to find you and me. Without lowering the standard of who he is, God made a way for us to be like him. Jesus is the ultimate and only God, the ultimate man, the ultimate friend. Three times God is Lord of all. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He's Lord by virtue of the fact that he created all of this universe by the words of his mouth. He is Lord because he's creator. He's Lord because he stepped down into a, into a world that he had entrusted to us. He stepped down as a man and as a man, he won back the authority to rule and reign over that world. He is, he is Lord of all by virtue of create, being creator. He's Lord of all by by virtue of being the perfect man. He's Lord of all by virtue of being the perfect friend. What do I mean by that? Is that when he stepped into the world, this world, he reached out his hand and he grabbed you from the pit in which you were falling, from the water that was threatening to engulf you, from the, the pain and the heartache that was surrounding you, from the confusion and the mud and the mire of this existence, he reached out his hand as the perfect friend and said, I will not let you drown. I will not let you be overcome. I have come to rescue you. He is Lord of all. He is the ultimate God. He is the ultimate man and he is the perfect friend. Colossians 1, 17 and 18 says this, for he, Jesus, before all things and in him all things, sorry, Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. There is no competition. Christianity stands heads and shoulders above the religions around him. There, there is no other religion that does what Christianity does. Unless there is a real God on the other side of your religious practices, your religious practices are in vain. In other words, um, you can go about cutting yourself, um, making a scene, making great shows of your sacrifices. It doesn't matter how much effort you put into your religious practice. Unless there is a real God on the other side of your religious practice, it is all in vain. We have a world that is working so hard to please gods that don't exist. And here we stand with the answer, the ultimate God, the ultimate man, the ultimate friend who is reaching out to them. We have a message that matters. We have a voice that needs to be heard. The world needs 
Jesus. There is only one answer to the world's problems. Education isn't going to do it no matter how much we improve our education system. I know very educated people who are miserable, who are alone, and who are devastated. Improving the financial lot of the people in this nation is not going to do it. I know people, very wealthy people, who are miserable, alone, and devastated. Improving the laws of this nation is not going to do it. I know very good law-abiding people who are broken, devastated, lonely. Improving the education, improving the laws, improving the financial situation of our country are all good and should be attempted, but they are not the solution that the world is asking for. They're not the solution that your friends are asking for. Jesus is the answer. The gospel is the answer to every woe, to every problem, to the heartache of the person who sits in the cubicle next to you at work, to your neighbor across the road, to your relative, to your friend. Jesus is the answer. The next thing we can learn from this fantastic, powerful story about fire falling from heaven is that not all ways to God are the same. You might agree that that God is the ultimate God, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, but not all ways to him are the same. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that we need to find a way back to God, a way to God? Why does it matter? Because our way back to God is our way back to being fully human. Without a relationship with God, human beings are only living a part of their existence. We were designed from the beginning of time to be in relationship with God. We only function as the presence of God is breathed into us. We only function well as God is with us, as God is enthusing, bringing to life, empowering us. Without God, we are not fully human. Every person is yearning for a way back to God. They don't know it necessarily, but every person is yearning for a way back to God. What I love about this story is that Elijah repaired an ancient, an ancient, ancient sacrifice, an ancient altar. He did it God's way. What is so important about this is that, that Humanity is continuously trying to find new ways to God that will eliminate our surrender to Jesus, that will eliminate us having to give up our autonomy, to having to hand the crown of our lives to Jesus Christ. But there is only one way to God, and His name is Jesus. And it involves a surrender of our autonomy, a surrender of our, the lordship of our own lives to Him. The only way to God comes through a Jesus who died for you. One of the, one of the ways that mankind has tried to invent his own way to God with is something that we often call the prosperity gospel. It's rife in Africa. And what it means is that Jesus, or what it says, should I say rather, is that Jesus and money are the solution. In other words, come to Jesus and get wealthy. Come to Jesus and all your financial problems will be over. Come to Jesus and and he will make you rich very, very quickly. This is not the gospel 
men and women of God. This is not the message that Jesus came to preach. The message that Jesus came to preach is that there is a new reality here. here. There's a new kingdom at hand. Step out of the old reality. Step into this new reality where Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He said this, you cannot serve both God and money, but that if you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. God is not against your prosperity. In fact, he loves your prosperity, but it's always Jesus first. Your salvation, your way to God is Jesus and Jesus alone. Christ and Christ alone. The next popular way that people add to the gospel and kind of make their own way to God is something called liberation theology. And if prosperity gospel was Jesus and money is your savior. The liberation theology is Jesus and an AK-47 is your salvation. Matthew 5 verse 5 said that the meek shall inherit the earth. God wants justice on this earth. God wants things set right. But the powerful thing about Jesus is that he is the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, he is the destination. He is the place of true justice. But he's not only the place that we're heading to, he's also the way that we get there. The manner in which you get godliness is as important as the godliness you get. In other words, it's important how we get the life and the prosperity that we do. We're not only moving toward Jesus, we're moving towards Jesus in Jesus way. He is the destination, he is the road there, and he is the map we use to get there. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Liberation theology talks about taking matters into our own hands. It talks about using violence and anger in order to get justice. The Bible speaks a different message. It says that God will bring justice and he will bring justice for his elect and he will bring justice for his people. But he will bring it in a way that includes everyone in that justice. He will bring it in a way that prom promotes peace and life and blessing and forgiveness. God will have his justice on the earth, but he will have it his way. The third way that we try to make a way to God all on our own is something I like to call Christian atheism. And what I mean by that is we profess Jesus with our mouths, but we live as if he doesn't exist. In other words, we take matters in our own hands. We forge our own destiny. We live the way we want to live and we ask Jesus to bless it. Christian atheism, atheism, if the prosperity gospel is about Jesus and money, if the liberation theology is about Jesus and an AK-47, Christian atheism is about Jesus and me being autonomous. That's not the message that we bring. The message that we bring is that it's Christ alone. And he is asking of us to give up our autonomy, to give up our sense of being able to create our own destiny and to merge our destinies with him. To say this, God, what you have for me is so much better than anything I could work on my own. And so I surrender all of my life to you because I acknowledge you as good. I acknowledge you as the only one who has stepped out of heaven and reached out to me as I began to just fall under the heaviness and the oppression of my surroundings. And you are the one who rescued me. You rescued me not only from the injustice done to me, but you rescued me from the, the injustice in my own heart. 
Christian syncretism is the fourth one that I want to talk about, is that a way we make our own way to God and we try to invent our own way to God. And Christian syncretism is simply this, that, that I, I take Christianity and I mix it with some other stuff. In other words, I believe in Jesus, but let me just keep the spirits happy. Let me just keep the saints happy. Let me just keep the ancestors happy. Let me just, let me just pray, not necessarily to Jesus, but let me, let me pray to something else. Let me find another intermediary between God and me. Let me, let me mix it with my traditional understanding. Let me, let me spend a lot of time pushing, pushing back or appeasing the spirits of the age. Jesus brings another message. He, he says very clearly that he has conquered every, every principality and power, that he is supreme in everything, that in fact Colossians 2 tells us that, Colossians 1 sorry, that in everything he must have the supremacy. We learn from this that Jesus is in charge of everything and that as we walk through life, he is asking us to let go of all our personal preferences in how we think we should get to God and to say, I want your way, Lord Jesus. I want to walk to my destiny in the way that you want me to. An interesting point about this story is that God certainly answered by fire. When we look at the story in 1 Kings 18, oh my word, can you imagine standing there just for a minute? Take a breath with me and think about you standing on a mountain. You can see the Mediterranean Sea off to one side. You can see the, the valley of the Dead Sea on the other side or the, the Jordan River and and there you stand, all the prophets of Baal are cutting themselves, making a performance, and nothing has happened. All the religiosity and the duties of the pagan religions are just there demonstrated in the, their fullness before you, and nothing is happening. And then this man steps up, and there you can see the sacrifice on 12 stone. He's, he's calling all of your heritage. He's speaking to the ancient paths. He's calling out the long lost ways of reaching God. And he's saying, walk in this way. You're standing around. You can smell the dust. You can smell the blood. There's no fire, but there's water dripping off this carcass. And then with one small prayer out of heaven comes this flash of lightning and everything is consumed. You've never seen anything but like it in your life before. You fall down on your face and you have no other declaration but that Yahweh is God. Jesus Christ is King of all, Lord of all. Your heart spontaneously responds to his demonstration of power with the truth. God is God and there is no other. Throughout the Bible, the concept of fire is associated with the throne room of God, the governance of God, the power of God, the presence of God. Revelation 4 talks about how about the throne of God, Revelation 4 verse 5, how lightning and thunder is continuously striking. In Ezekiel, a number of times throughout the book, we see representations of the glory of God and it always involves some kind of fire. 
Isaiah 6, um, Isaiah goes into the presence of God, the throne room of God, and, and he sees something called a seraphim, which is literally a fiery fire one. In other words, round the throne of God, there is fire. Fire to us represents so much. It is the warmth and the safety of a home. It is also the, the power and the demonstration of God's majesty. It's also the significance of, of fire is so profound in that anyone in a room who sees the fire in a, in a fireplace will automatically be drawn to it. Fire represents safety and security. It represents significance. It represents power and empowerment. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ built an altar. He built the altar from the stones of his own body. He climbed onto that altar as the perfect sacrifice and allowed himself to be crucified on your and my behalf. Some days later, the disciples were sitting in a room and God looked down through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and he answered by fire. Out of heaven came a fire that landed on every one of them. Tongues of fire were on their heads. They spoke in other tongues. The fire of Pentecost arrived and God said, I received the sacrifice of my son. At the same time, as we live our lives, we follow Jesus Christ onto that altar and we give our lives as living sacrifices. Romans 12 verse 1, in view of his mercy, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. We offer ourselves, we climb onto that altar, that ancient altar of God's truth, of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. We climb onto it and we say, God, we yours. And here's the beauty. God will answer by fire. He will set your life alight. He will set your life aflame. He will cause the security of fire to be in you. He will cause the empowerment of his spirit to be on you. He will cause the, your life to become significant as your life becomes ablaze. The people around you will turn and say, the Lord, he is God. Our sacrifice is the same as our loving obedience. We climb onto that altar through loving obedience to him and Jesus Christ answers with fire. In conclusion, Jesus stands alone as the only way back to God. As we walk in obedience to him, he answers our sacrificial lifestyle with the power of his presence. God bless you. Lord, I pray for everyone here. Lord God, we acknowledge you as Christianity, as, as the, the religion that stands heads and shoulders above any other. We acknowledge Jesus Christ, you as the only one to God. And Father God, we climb on the altar of your presence, the altar of your sacrifice. And we say, Lord, here I stand in loving obedience to your ancient paths, doing it your way, not my way. And Lord God, we understand that in this, these times of adversity, as we stand stock still on that, rejecting every other kind of philosophy, every other kind of love, and we say, Lord God, here we are, you will answer by fire. God bless you. Amen.